You're listening to the Astro Backyard Podcast. Capture the night sky. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Astro Backyard Podcast. My name is Steve from Ontario Telescope and Accessories. And joining me, as always, and why would it be any other way? Right, Trevor? We have? You wouldn't have it any other way. You wouldn't be sharing this microphone with anyone else. No, no, never. Never. Did you say my name already? I well, I said Trevor, but I didn't say anything else. Trevor Jones from astrobackyard.com here. Image the deep, the night sky. Did I get that right? Capture the Capture night, the night sky. sky. And OTA, or Ontario Telescope and Accessories, where OTA means more. That's such a that's I think that's why you chose the name, right? Because because of that awesome. Uh, you know what? It, what's it called? There's a story behind it. Um, it's not very exciting, but we'll save it for another time. Let's save it. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite boring, but it's a good one over a beer. I I I think I've heard it. Okay. Maybe not though. We'll, Maybe not. Yeah. So we'll revisit that. So he, this is uh this is interesting. Um. We are recording episode number 27. And some of you might think, well, wait a minute. There's only 25 episodes. And you're correct. There are 25 episodes. Um, But we recorded episode 26 two times, three times? Two times. Well, let's put it this way. We talked about episode 26 two times. It being recorded sure. is another story altogether. Um, but we won't get into that, and I take uh, complete responsibility for it. So we decided to move on. We'll come back to episode 26 another time, um, and we'll tell you what it was then. So The key uh, is you got to make sure that, that little red light is on. It's Steve. on. It's on. That's where <laughs> it is. Uh, so anyways, we're going to talk about something we haven't really talked about before, uh, but you've seen Trevor... Uh, use them. I've got one, um, and uh, I'm sure a lot of other people in, in the audience and out there um, have one as well. We're talking about big scopes, so you know the the big refractors, 130 millimeters and up. Um, they don't yep. get they don't get enough love, I don't think. Uh, they uh, they're seen as big, cumbersome, expensive. Um, they need a big heavy mount for them. Uh, and rightly so. We'll get into that. But there's other things as well. Um, we're talking about big scopes in terms of like big aperture. Uh, so like reflectors and RCs, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the SCTs that are out there as well. And, and Max, that, that can be a big uh, big aperture type scope. Now there's one telescope type I've never used as a Mac. Never used a Have Mac? you? No. Yeah. I've got one. They've got to be the the most uh, the least used type uh, overall. Is that no, you, would I wouldn't you say, say that. that's correct? They're, no, no? The, you know the the beauty of a Mac. Um, uh, and for those who are just thinking a Mac, like what's a, we're not talking about trucks, right? Even though like no, the Mac truck, Maxitov, uh, Mac, yeah, Maxitov, uh, Cassegrain, and there's a few variations of it. Uh, but essentially, you have a, a, a corrector plate at the front. There's a mirror at the back that reflects light back up to a secondary mirror, which is connected to the reflector. It's not the reflector, I'm sorry, the corrector plate. And then it reflects it back down to uh, the eyepiece, which is right down the center of the, uh, of the scope. 
Right. Right. And to focus it, you're moving that primary mirror back and forth. What's nice about a Mac is that the secondary mirror is fixed. It doesn't, you don't have the ability to collimate it like you would on a, on a CT, for example. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, that's an advantage. You don't have to collimate that secondary mirror. Uh, there are some other ones out there that do require some kind of collimation. Um, uh, a good example would probably be like some of the Vixen type of um, Cassegrain scopes. They're a modified Mac where they don't have a big corrector plate, but they have a corrector in front of the secondary. Um, right. So, you know, that that's a variation of it. Those are nice little scopes. And they have they have big ones too. They go up to 8-inch, I believe. Um we mentioned SCTs, you know, SCTs and, and Macs are fantastic for planetary because they have that high magnification, uh, really long focal length. And lots of aperture. Lots of aperture. Uh, but they do require collimation. And uh, they can also be used for deep sky objects, right? You can put a reducer on them, a dedicated reducer, and, uh, you know, get those really, really far out objects. Your exposure time would have to increase. But it can be done, and there's a lot of people that do image very successfully with with an SCT. And uh, yeah, the Hyperstar system. I don't know if you want to get into that, but that F F two yeah, uh, yeah is crazy. The amount of of light gathering power you can get in a thirty or sixty second sub. That's true. So a lot of SCTs, not all of them, but mainly the uh, right now the Celestron ones, you can get a, a Hyperstar attachment for it, or Celestron also has their uh, Roe Atkinson. Uh, Schmidt Cassegrain uh, or a Rasa. Uh, Rasa. Yep. Rasa is a commonly known. And they just came out with a new 8 inch uh, and they have an 11 inch, which has been out for a long time. Very popular scope. And they have a mm -hmm. massive 14. Remember seeing that at Neef? That huge yes. 14 inch scope? At yeah, F like it was, it was ridiculously huge and it was on a big CGXL mount. Yeah. I, I still think you need a bigger mount to hold to properly. Well, that. how much does that thing weigh? 75 pounds yeah and that, so the xl is rated at 75 so yeah so probably that's... like uh a cem 120 for my optron or an eq8 um or uh, a paramount type amount yeah something huge required but if you're buying that type of scope like the scope alone is like eight over eighteen thousand dollars canadian yeah, that's observatory grade stuff. Yeah, research grade. I think that's where research grade. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be using them. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so yeah, those are really good. Like you said, f two point two optics. So you know, uh, you can do uh, <laughs> a thirty second image of Andromeda and probably get all the dust lanes in one shot, and it won't be overexposed if you have a good dark sky. That's just nuts. But when you increase the, the focal ratio like that, it's like uh, exponentially increases the signal to noise ratio. Oh, I, absolutely. I think I'm not sure if we mentioned this or not. It might have been on one of the episodes that we you forgot to press record on. But there's that uh, there's a video by Craig Stark where he explains signal to noise ratio so perfectly. And the, one of the biggest takeaways is that how much of a factor that F ratio plays into that. And uh, basically, the, the faster the F ratio, uh, you can ex exponentially increase the amount of um, signal you're getting in a signal shot. So right. F2.2 or F2.0, whatever it is, that's just an insane amount of light. To, to match that, you'd have to 
that's a lot more data using like an F6 or F7. Right. So when you look at um, uh, a comparable scope in terms of focal length, uh, well, not really comparable, but let's take the William Optic Z61, the Zenistar yep. 61, right? That's an F5.9 with a 61 millimeter aperture, and it's a 360 millimeter focal length. And you can get some right. really wide objects with it, right? So with a mm -hmm. full-frame camera, you can get the heart and soul nebula in one frame. Yeah, massively wide. Massively wide. Now, on the Rasa 8, 400 millimeter focal length at 8-inch aperture at f2.2. It's it's 400 millimeter? Yeah. Wow, that's wa much wider than I thought. Yeah, very, very wide. Very, very wide 8-inch scope. And they're relatively inexpensive um, uh, when, you, when you look at them. Um, and they, they come out soon. Um, but uh, And there's all kinds of accessories for them as well. Uh, but, you know, other big scopes. Uh, mention reflectors, Newtonians, and mm -hmm. Richie Cretchens, which is another type of reflecting scope. Uh, probably a best bang for your buck in some cases, right? With a reflector? Uh, um, a Newtonian? Newtonian, yeah. Yeah, yeah, reflector, absolutely. I think it's the best uh, aperture per dollar ratio. Yeah, you can get a, an 8 or a 10 inch at uh, an f3.9. is a typical speed, uh, optical speed for a uh, reflector. Um, you do have some things you need to worry about, though. You, you will have a flat field, but you're going to have some uh, abrasions on, on the outer edge. Right, some fringing, so you need to get a coma corrector for that. Um, and yep. a good coma corrector is a couple hundred bucks in and around there. Um, absolutely necessary if you're going to do any imaging with a reflector. You put the coma corrector on it, put your camera in it on top of the uh, coma corrector, and away you go. The only thing with reflectors, and Trevor, you and I were talking about this off, off the air. We'll call it off the air. Um, uh, you know, they can be difficult to balance sometimes right totally i i've got the the eight inch um orion f4 newtonian mm -hmm. and i would just i'd always go for the refractor because um if there was a little bit of wind that made th it was it was a little shaky it was probably a little too much for my mount too but yeah the re reflectors if you're willing to put in the time to properly balance them and uh collimate them like the results can be incredible especially like it's, it's just an incredible value for um, an affordable scope that has that kind of light gathering power at eight inches. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, well, the one thing I don't like about reflectors, um, this is mainly for a visual thing. If you have it on a equatorial mount, mm -hmm. that your eyepiece is going to be all over the place. So you can, unless you're a contortionist or a gymnast and you can, you know, <laughs> stand on your head while looking, looking through the eyepiece and Hey, that'll work um yeah for visual you're better off with that dobsonian mount so you can comfortably sit on a little stool or something yeah or an alt as arrangement or yeah something up down yeah um richie Cretchen, you you have used one right you had the ioptron uh the photron yeah yeah very good cool good scope nice uh, long focal length yeah so that was an f9 if i remember Mm -hmm. All right, so six inch F nine, uh, very inexpensive. You know, they're less than five hundred dollars Canadian. 
Um, you get a six inch aperture, and you were doing what M one hundred one, if I if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, M one hundred one was rather big in in the field of view, with the with the six inch six inch Voltron. So, you know, that's a good deep scope, deep space scope as well. Probably use it for planetary. The thing you have to keep in mind with the Richie Kretchen is that the secondary mirror is quite large. So the central obstruction is large on a, on a Richie Kretchen. Right. But you get a beautiful flat field. And the primary mirror is fixed. So you don't have what you might get with an SCT or a Mac. You're not going to have mirror flop, which can be a concern for um, imagers two ways. Fine-tuning your focusing, the mirror could shift. Or if you were to do a meridian flip or any type of movement with the scope, mm -hmm. um, going to another object, the mirror can move possibly on an SCT or a Mac. Then you have to readjust your focus and make sure everything's good. Um, with an S sorry, with an RC, you don't have that because the primary and secondary are fixed and you have that fo focuser on the back and you do your focusing uh, from there. So is mirror flop just the the mirror moving around ever so slightly when when you're when you're adjusting it? Yes, yeah. That that's what mirror flop is. Yeah. So it's okay. it's a bigger concern with older SCTs, newer SCTs. They've really improved them a lot. Um, right. You know something like I know in the Rasa Eight, they completely redesigned it. They have a housing around the mirror to that's supported all around um, in a much more stable configuration uh, to to prevent that. So RCs are really good for it. The, where the fun part comes with an with an RC is if you have to collimate it, uh, they're not that they're not that fun. You can get special laser um, attachments to do a laser collimation. Uh, I know right. the Howie Gladder collimation system had a special reticle that you can use for RCs to help collimate it. Okay. Uh, or you can use the old Cheshire Cheshire eyepiece and little pinhole and right that that's way. the one you can use with with newtonians as well you can right use it for newtonians as well the thing yeah. with uh, an rc is you're adjusting both the primary and secondary almost at the same time to get them all lined up um, right but once you have it lined up they pretty much stay where they are so you know our rcs are really good but what i think we really want to talk about trevor is uh, the big refractors you know it yep so you've used uh a couple. You've got one. You have the FLP 130. That's the biggest. Yep. The yep. Big William Optics uh, one FLT Fluoro Star 132. 132. Sorry. And the Explore Scientific 140 you had during the summer. Uh, That's the biggest I've ever used. Yeah. Carbon fiber. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a TAC 130. I had the Explore Scientific uh, 127 FCD 100. Great scope. Um, but there's some things you have to keep in mind with a big scope if you want to get a big scope. And I don't think big scopes get enough love because there are some things you have to keep in mind. You need a big mount that can hold it. That's some heavy glass. Yeah, yeah. The scopes are heavy. Uh, they mm -hmm. can be long. Right. So the length is is a concern for sure. Yeah. The the FLT one thirty two is an F seven. Mm hmm. My Explore Scientific was an F seven point five. Uh, my TAC is a seven point seven. So they're they're long. The, yeah, uh, and I well, I wasn't ready for that when I got the FLT one thirty two, and I had the focuser extended, 
and I started moving it around. I'm like, oh my, like I'd never had to raise the pillar on the CM60 before, but I realized that I would be running into the legs because the, the length of the scope was so long if I didn't um, move that pillar up. Yeah. So, you know, that's a big, that's a problem with a lot of refractors, not just a, these big ones, even some people with a 102 millimeter refractor might run into this as well. You have to get a small pier extension for your, for your mount uh, so that you can clear the legs, especially if you're going to go uh, anywhere near Zenith uh, and you have a camera on there and you usually will have some extensions or a flattener that's, or a reducer. That's it. You get the ex you extender on there and yeah. uh, the flattener and then the length of the camera. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you've got this almost twice the length of, of the length of the scope. So it, it's something to keep in mind. So you need to have a mount that will accommodate that. And a lot of, a lot of bigger mounts will have, will have that clearance or the ability to add um, a pier extension. Uh, yeah. I know like on the Lost Mandy G11, for example, there is an RA extension. So it sticks the scope out a little bit farther on the okay. RA axis. Mm -hmm. axis and then you can... Uh, not have to worry about it hitting the legs because you're cleared out in a different direction. Instead of going up, you're going out, right? Yeah. Um, and then you start getting into some of the really, really high-end exotic uh, type of glass. So you know, you, you'll probably hear a lot of numbers and buzzwords being thrown around. ED glass, SD glass, um, uh, FPL 51, FPL 53. Uh, we mentioned... The FCD 100. Um, that's an Explore Scientific uh, glass. It's not their glass, but it's made by Hoya, and they use that glass. Um, FPL mm -hmm. 53 is commonly used by William Optics, Skywatcher. Uh, a lot of the big high end scopes use the FPL 53 glass, which is really good. Uh, there's another one out there called FK 61. I believe that's a type of glass that Mead uses for their scopes. Um, okay. And, you know, I've seen this in a lot of forums. People get concerned about the type of glass that, that's there. Uh, you don't want an FPL 51. You want FPL 53, for example. I'm glad you're bringing this up and clearing the air about this because I think this is important for people to hear. Yeah. It, it's important to keep in mind, right, that uh, a scope, even with FPL 53, if the, the lens isn't designed correctly... Um, or if it's not matched correctly with with it in its arrangement of a triplet or a doublet, you might get a better view out of a Coke bottle. <laughs> right? I've seen some really good FPL fifty one uh, lens based telescopes perform just as well as an FPL fifty three. Trevor, your your scope, the Explore Scientific one hundred two, uses FPL, not FPL. I'm sorry, FCD one glass. But yeah. it's designed really well. Look at the results you're getting with with your uh, with your scope when you when you process your image. People really got hung up on on the fact that it was uh, it wasn't the FCD 100 glass and like oh that's the old one. And I'm like I'm not so sure that I would see a huge difference between the two. And it doesn't sound like I like we're splitting hairs at that point. I think so. I think so. Now there's a lot to be said about higher quality glass. Um. You know the the, uh, the overall numbers when you start looking looking at it, you'll probably if you really really want to get to the nitty gritty, you'll probably see the differences. And some um, people do. Yeah, some people do. 
I, I think a lot of it might have to do visually as well. Over asking. Yeah. Over imaging. For sure. Again, this is my opinion. I'm probably going to get flame mail on it. <laughs> I told you to be less controversial in this I episode. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, no, I think that's a great point that just uh, perhaps some people get a little too hung up on the type of glass used when really there's there's about three or four really high quality types of glass that uh, it's almost an indiscernible difference between them. But yeah, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it comes down to coating, the coatings on the glass too, right? Um, really? Yeah. And, and that can have that much of a difference. Yeah, the coating and the the finish and the polish of the of the glass. Um, that, yeah, that all makes a, that all makes a big difference. I, I remember talking to somebody who, who's in the industry, um, and they're telling me like the really old Japanese telescopes, mm-hmm. the polish that they would use was really, really hard. Okay. Right. The end result, right. But this was good. And the coatings, you look at it, you know, like when you look, you kind of shimmer it in the light. Mm-hmm. Some of them have like a green reflection right there's ones that have like a blue reflection and those ones were really really good um, okay i think vixen might be like that still i'm not sure but, in but they were case, good coatings these old ones yeah 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 yeah. really good coatings right but a lot of it had to do with the polish as well so that you know that makes a big difference but you know having said that all the main guys right so the explorers the sky watchers uh televues the uh meads the William Optics of the World, Alter Astro, uh, all those guys, yep. uh, Stellar View, you know, they're putting out good stuff. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think you're going to go wrong, but just, you know, you don't have to get it. I think if a, if a high-end company is put, making a product and it's got FPL 51, which is 53, yeah. I think they put a lot of work into that lens design to have it perform to its maximum potential. You probably won't tell the difference. So, Good point. Yep. But, you know, getting back to the scopes itself. Um, yeah, talk about your tack. You didn't really... Oh. You haven't. I haven't heard much about that. I know you're, you know, kind of over the moon about finally owning your dream scope. So, this is what I've learned about tacks. If you need any accessories for them, they're really expensive. You're going to pay for it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I bought a T-ring. It was $95 US. A T-ring? Yep. That's, uh, it was made by Ferrari, I guess. No, made by Takahashi. <laughs> yeah. Right. Same, uh, very relatable. Yep. Um, the, uh, but it's just, you know, they've got their, their threads and their fittings and. It's yeah. all, it's all super high quality stuff though, I, oh, I imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It's um, not just the name; it's actually really good stuff. No, it is. It is really good stuff. And uh, no, so I got my—I finally have it mounted. It's uh, on my mount. Uh, it's all balanced. It's really long. It's really, and really heavy, right? It's really heavy. Yeah, I think the total weight of it—I'm probably up with all the accessories, and the guide scope and the night crawler. I'm probably pushing around forty pounds. Wow. For it. And which Nightcrawler uh, is it? With, uh, I, I have the two and a half. I should really use a three inch. Okay. But the two and a half will work. Uh, but the Moonlight Nightcrawler focuser is, it, that's awesome. It's got the built in rotator. 
those are really nice and uh, so they do add quite a bit more weight right because they're pretty uh pretty substantial yeah they add officers. a lot of weight to one end so you have to you know rebalance everything uh add more weight to the front uh somehow and um but it, it it's great but yeah look it looks beautiful it really does adding more weight to the front because i've had this experience with the uh william optics zenith star 73 it's very back heavy when i get that heavy full frame camera on it yeah and the dovetail that came with it is just too short so i'm just stuck with uh moving it up on the uh the mounting plate as far as i can and it's still kind of back heavy how right. do you go about adding more weight to the front so what i did was i added a dovetail to the top so i took uh, a heavy dovetail a uh, lost mandy type dovetail and i put yep. it on top for my accessories so my guide scope and uh, my power box and uh, really that's what I have right there and I moved it up it's a longer one so I got a 15 inch one and I offset it so the majority of the dovetail yep. is towards the front and then I have my guide scope positioned higher up so I was able to distribute the weight that way I see right. so it's that's not... smart yeah so uh, so another dovetail on top yeah yeah and that that worked rather rather well um, and then you have to balance it in RA, right? Not just deck, right? You have to balance yeah. it in RA. And that can be challenging sometimes. You might have to add more than one counterweight, sometimes three counterweights in order to get the, uh, the balance required to, uh, to balance it in, in RA. One tip that I found, you know, there's some, some mount manufacturers will have an extension bar for their counterweight bar where you can you know move the oh yeah the, yeah the eq6r has that yeah yeah have you used it no but someone told me i should be they said it's better to use the extension bar in one counterweight than to not use it and use two see i think the because opposite you... okay so it's better to have it more you know closer to the mount rather than i think so because my my concern and this is something you have to try out for yourself not, not just you trevor but everybody my concern is if I had one counterweight farther out, if there's any unwanted movement in that counterweight, like when I'm slewing, uh -huh. right? Because it's farther out, I don't think it'd be as stable, and I can possibly induce introduce vibration. Right, I see. Where where if I use two counterweights on a shorter bar and I was able to balance it and it was closer to the center, the of of the of where it's pivoting, right? Mm -hmm. I think that would be more stable. It's sort of like, yeah. think of it this way. If you take a, a pipe that's two feet long and you try yeah. to bend it, you can't. Mm -hmm. Or a two by four. Take a piece of two by four, two feet long, try to bend it, you can't. Now take that same type of wood, two long. by four, eight foot, yeah. and you can bend it easily. Yeah. Right? There's um there's some physics involved there, yeah, uh, for sure. And yeah, both. Uh, I I don't know what's best, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's worth you know worth what, trying it's one of those things you have to try out for yourself, right, and find out That's what right. what works really good. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I might not see it all that much because I'm on a permanent pier, so I'm not expecting a lot of vibration to carry through my system. But if somebody is on a uh, uh, on a concrete pad. Or on their driveway, if there's any vibration in the ground, like a I don't know heavy truck going by, for example, yep. 
Like, we can't feel it, but that little bit of vibration could travel up. You You'll see it in your PhD uh, graph. Yeah, probably, yeah. I certainly do. You know what? If anyone has experienced that, let us know on a Facebook page. I'd be yeah. Interested, I'd be interested to know. And, and what That's you've what, done I was to kind of thinking, it. too. Let's put this out to the audience. Yeah. And what you've done to correct it. So, mm -hmm. um, big scope. So, okay. So, my TAC 130, I still haven't tried it out yet. It's all set up, waiting for that clear sky, because October has absolutely sucked. And hopefully November will be better. Halloween was good. It has to be. Halloween. What, Halloween night? Yeah. Was it? Oh, here it was beautifully clear. Mm, it wasn't here. It was clear. It was dark. Seeing was awesome. It was, but I had to go out trick-or-treating. <laughs> uh, yeah, for over here, it was in the, I'd say in the last 20 to 25 days, so almost the entire month, we had two clear nights. Yeah, it was, uh, wasn't good. Hopefully November would be better. Yep. It has to be. It has to be. Absolutely. So wait, what else? Did, is there anything else we didn't talk about with big refractors? I'm trying to think of the experience with the 140. It was, I think for anyone that's used to a compact refractor, just a more modest size one, going to a big one really isn't, it's a pretty smooth transition um, because you're sticking with the same telescope type. Like it's not a big learning curve. The biggest thing is like you already mentioned, just the balance and the length. And once you can figure those out, it's just everything you're used to with a smaller refractor on a larger scale. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot, a lot more detail in those images. That that aperture certainly makes a difference. Um, that light gathering ability. Yeah. So you know, things to keep in mind when you are um, imaging with uh, with a big refractor is your image scale is going to completely change as well. Right. So I know on my my one hundred two. My image scale, I think, is a 1.38. No, one point, say 1.3 with the camera that I use. So that you can go online and you can just do a, a, a search for uh, image scale calculation. Um, and you can plug in your camera information. So you need to know the size of your pixel plus your X and Y uh sensor size right yep which you can get from you just google it you just google it all the all the manufacturers list it yep and then you put your focal length in and you have to keep in mind that if you're using a reducer you have to calculate the focal length based on your scope with the reducer to get yes. your focal length put that in you'll get an image scale on a very big handy scope, before you start your project to know what you're getting into yeah exactly um once you determine your image scale, that gives you some sense of an idea of what your PhD guiding should be. Because when you have a long focal length scope, guiding becomes more critical and it can become a little bit more, uh, what's the word? Sensitive? Yes. You need to make sure you're not using a, a really short focal length scope, uh, guide scope on a really uh -huh. long focal length uh, refractor or scope in general. Right. So would you say that once you get into over a thousand millimeters of focal length, that a 200 millimeter 
uh, guide scope wouldn't be enough because that's that's what I was using with the uh, the ED140. But I think the ED140 was around 900. You know, and it, uh, the Starfield guide scope at 200 was was just right. Yeah, you know, it, I think it's uh, you have to be very mindful of your settings at that point. Right. Right. It can right. be done. It can absolutely mm-hmm. be done. Uh, it's not difficult, but you just have to be mindful of your settings. You might need to adjust uh, some of your PhD settings in order for you're not going to be you don't want to be overcompensating in your guiding. Or, or undercompensating, so you need to... Yeah, the aggressiveness of, yeah, of it. That's it. And that's before I forget, and because a lot of people ask me stuff about PhD, and uh, I've been, my mindset with PhD has always been trial and error, and uh, so it's, you know, which isn't the most helpful advice, but if you're running, you're actually guiding on a guide star, and you're changing those settings live, which you can do, Yep. Uh, you can start messing with the aggressiveness, you can just pay attention to your live graph and see when your error is getting better. Like that's, that's the way I've always done it. Right. And, uh, there, is there, is there a flaw to that method? No, not a, that's what I do. Right. And uh, right. okay, what, good. Um, the, the only other thing that I do is I'll probably clear the graph when I make yeah. a change so I can, uh, that's right. That way the error, average of your, yeah. Yeah. The error number that's there is reflective of the changes that you made. So what you want to do was, is once you figure out your image scale, you want to make sure that your RMS error is lower than what your image scale is. So I'll give you an example. On my 102, I think I said my image scale was 1.3. Mm-hmm. I was getting a, uh, a 0.8 or 0.9 on my, okay. on my graph. The total RMS error, yep. Yep. It, the, the seeing wasn't the greatest, so I wasn't overly concerned. But I was below my image scale. So my stars are still going to be round. That's right. Right. My my overall my the picture overall the quality of it. Right. I was happy with it. It was working. So mm-hmm. so some people get hung up on oh I have to bring it down to a point four or a point three as low as I can you can get it. But you're going to be fighting against seeing conditions. You're going to be fighting against uh, possible you know any wind or vibration. Um, and again. Something to keep in mind: your overall focal length of your scope. If it's really long, um, you'll be you, you might be uh, fighting against that as well. So, some things to keep in mind, right, is that when you're when you're guiding with a long scope, you got to determine what your image scale is, and then get your PhD settings so that your your total error is below whatever that image scale is, and you'll be fine. Generally, the longer the focal length, uh, the your image scale will decrease. So that's where some of the difficulty get uh, comes into play with setting up your your settings to, to find that sweet spot. Right. So good to know. Good to know. On our, uh, unawkward, no, completely awkward silence. There we go. No, I think everyone's just digesting the information they were just given. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, I think course, we've we've covered a lot for, I think for big have. scopes. You know, of course, anyone's got any questions, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, and, uh, you know, ask. There's been a number of people that have been doing that. I've been trying to get to everybody. 
mm-hmm. uh, as best that I can. Uh, Trevor, you're... I think he's more busy than I am. Which it's possible. Is, which is... Uh, <laughs> it's quite refreshing to see that somebody's more busy than me. Yeah, sleep is always the, the thing that, that gets that gets lost yep. in the mix. Yeah. Well, once you get yourself all uh, uh, with a permanent setup, then I'm sure your sleep will, will That'll improve. help a lot, that's yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Less less trips outside in the middle of the night. Yeah. They, you got to get yourself one of those um, dust covers that will do flats and darks for you as well. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. I got I got mine set up. That's got to be so handy. Uh, flats, man. The motivation after a long night when you've got two hours sleep to take flats in the morning. Yeah. Oh god, that's that can be a bit uh, painful. Yeah, it, it's great. You set it up to. Uh, uh, you can pre-program it. Mm-hmm. And take that plan and just drop it in. And it does everything for, for, for you right there. You don't have to worry about a thing. Wow. So, but, you know, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. You need to get that permanent set up. Yes. I'm going to show up one day with a shovel. <laughs> and a concrete truck? And, and, a, con- yeah. and a, a wheelbarrow. Oh, I and guess a bunch it would of, just be a wheelbarrow in a, yeah, in a bag. Yeah. In a bag. Ashley will love me. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, guess what? <laughs> Hit us up on Facebook if you got any uh, suggestions or questions of, of uh, any future episodes. And uh, clear skies. Clear skies, everybody. <laughs>